This is Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson. Uh, the commissioner of the WNBA is Kathy Engelbert, and she's good enough to spend a few minutes with us here. Commissioner, thank you. And let's just start there. How did you arrive at those plans after all that we have been through? Take us through the process of putting this together. Well, Mike, you know, we were supposed to tip off our season on May 15th. And, you know, coming off our draft in mid-April, um, we started an enormous scenario planning exercise to try to determine how many games could we play? Could we get full playoffs in? You know, and a myriad of with or without fans in arena, not in arena. And obviously, as you started to see a lot of sports looking at a single site, and we remember we hadn't tipped off yet. We decided um, we had some principles, obviously health and safety of our players and staff. And then, you know, really to get a competitive season in. So we think that a 22-game season, a very competitive season, full playoffs, um, unfortunately without fans working, though, on fan innovation that we were already working on because it was one of the pillars of our strategy. And also, you know, really looking at IMG Academy, a best-in-class uh, athletic training environment, competitive environment as a, a place for our players to all come together and the first time be together, first time in WNBA history, be together, um, particularly as they look to have their voices heard around social justice. So it's just all coming together, a lot of logistics, but uh, we're excited to tip a season off this summer. Okay, so obviously there's a lot there. Let's take it piece by piece. Let's start with health and safety, because that's, of course, the most important. What can you tell us about the precautions that are being taken to keep the players and the coaches and everyone else involved safe? Yeah, number one priority um, obviously, things change every day as you, you know, consult with physicians and state and local health authorities. And and so it's important to know that you have to actually be pretty agile and, and change. But, you know, certainly leveraging off the MBA process as well, because the WNBA and the family um, looking at obviously testing, temperature checks, masks, all the standard things, symptom check forms, you know, but also being in an environment on a campus like IMG Academy where we can have our players together and make sure that we can provide them the safest environment, medically speaking, as well as logistically. So um, we're, you know, looking forward to making sure that all of that is in place um, and um, to execute around that, you know, because health and safety clearly is number one. And during these times where there is so much conversation about racial inequality, where there are protests in the streets all over the country, we've heard some high-profile NBA players suggest that they're not sure this is a time where they should be going back to play. What conversations have you had with your players along those lines? Yeah, our players. So, again, I mentioned that they'll be together for the all together for the first time in WNBA history in a single site. And. Uh, you know, what I've heard from them is let's let's really, you know, there'll be a lot of eyes on us. Let's think about how strong our voices can be. Let's think about what this platform looks like that we have. We have one of the most diverse leagues in professional sports, 80 percent black women. And all of our players are really, really actually looking forward to the platform that they can launch from IMG Academy around social justice and their voice. You know, and maybe as you know, Mike, we had one of our star players, MV, former MVP of the league, take a year off. And now she's taking her second year off, Maya Moore, to go work on criminal justice reform. We have um, a variety of other players who are, have very strong voices. So I actually think they're looking forward to being together to kind of launch a platform around how we can drive change and systemic change against the racial inequalities that are out there in the world today and certainly here in the United States. So that's we're really looking forward to a strong 
platform, and I think our players are as well. And we're going to work together with the players uh, around that and make sure we support them in every way we can. Well, Commissioner, as I said to you right before we came on the air here, I I can't fathom with all the moving pieces, all the things that you are trying to put together at once. We wish you nothing but the best of luck, and we'll certainly be watching as it goes forward. Thank you very much for taking some time with us. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate the support and stay healthy. Thank you. Hello, basketball fans, and welcome in to a brand spanking new episode of your ESPNW Women's Basketball Podcast, Around the Rim. I am your host, LaChina Robinson, joined, as always, by my fantastic and fabulous producer, Tarika Foster-Brasby, who is even more fabulous than normal with this Beyonce. I mean, girl, are we going blonde for the summer or not? Nah? I heard blondes have more fun. I'm trying to find out. Ooh, it's looking good. I mean, I had to try to get my lip gloss going just to kind of match the vibes up here because you got the gold hair, gold lips. I'm letting all of this melanin out today. All okay. of this melanin out today. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Um, well, basketball fans, we want to thank you for your support of our last podcast. Um, if you missed it, we went one-on-one-on-one with Natasha Cloud, the guard of the defending WNBA champion Washington Mystics, and she read us our rights on the topic of social justice, racism, police brutality, you name it. She was um, giving us the scoop and what we all should be doing better and what we need to be saying. And that basically we can't be silent about what's happening in our country right now. I mean, there was yet another um, police killing in Atlanta. So we are we are fighting the good fight and we appreciate all the support of that podcast. If you have not listened, please go back because Natasha Cloud is just phenomenal and has emerged as just an outstanding leader for the WNBA, for athletes, for the Black community. And we're just so proud of everything she's doing. On this podcast, we've got some big news. Drum roll. It looks like there will be a WNBA season happening in 2020. And because we are a women's basketball podcast, This is major, major news for us, for our fans, for the world. Uh, When you think about the fact that we've been absent of sport, at least this sport, since March. Um, And we're going to get into some things today. Now, let me tell you before we start this podcast, and I am going to get to my clipboard in a moment. But, you know, Tariq and I have just kind of been sitting back watching, observing, you know, all the announcements, even before the announcement was made. Like, there was a lot of leaking of information um, there was some conversation about what the WNBA might do. We've been sitting back watching, listening, paying attention. So today is going to be a bit of education about what has been announced. But it's going to be a lot of thoughts from Tariq and I. And in fact, seven questions for us on this podcast. I'm giving two of mine to Tariq. We might pass them back and forth. But most of them are going to be questions Tariq has for me around the restart of the season. Tariq, how do you just feel off the top right now about this return we'll get into it but what you thinking I am so excited I'm also full of questions things that I'm hoping that we can find some answers to very very soon but most importantly I'm excited especially here in Connecticut I'm not gonna leak anything but I know that the executive vice president Amber Cox has some amazing things going on for the Connecticut Sun so I'm excited to get started Oh, so you a source now, because clearly everyone is a source. (laughs) So Tarika said she is not going to leak, but technically she is a source. So 
Somebody's had an upgrade since our last podcast. Uh, we will get into all of that. But right now, we want to, um, Tarika's just going to tell us what do we know now from this announcement. If you haven't been reading, pay attention, and you just turn on our podcast, which is cool because we'll keep you informed. Tarika, what do we know about this start of the WNBA season 2020? Now, before I tell you guys what's going to happen in the WNBA season, make sure you are checking out the Woj pod to keep up with everything that is going on from an NBA perspective. This podcast is full of guests, interviews, and loads of information to keep you abreast of what's going on in the NBA. So make sure you guys are going to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever it is that you find your pods to check out the Woj pod. Now, what we know so far is that, one, the season is going to take place, assuming to start on July 24th. There isn't going to be any fan attendance, as I think we kind of all expected, but um, they are going to keep working with, like, medical professionals and government officials and public health experts just to limit any possible spread um, of the coronavirus. This is going to actually take place at the IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida, which is not quite too far from like the Tampa St. Pete area. It's going to be a 22 game regular season and then a traditional playoff format. For a lot of this information, you can actually check out the Feinberg's article um, on AP, as well as um, our own Michelle Vopel here at ESPN. Both have two very in-depth articles that breaks down exactly what we can expect this season. But some of the highlights they mentioned were, which I I feel is very important. Number one is that 77% of the players voted in favor of this. Um, Now the other 23% that didn't vote, there were various reasons as to why they, you know, didn't vote. But here's one key point to mention. One, voting yes for this did not necessarily mean that a player will play. And voting no doesn't guarantee that she won't play either. The vote was just simply about the union accepting this proposal to have this 22-game season. And now each player is going to have to decide whether or not they do indeed want to play. And they have until June 25th to make that decision and let their teams know whether or not they're going to opt out. Another important note is that um, the players are going to receive 100% of their salary. Now, they've already received two checks, and that's very, very, very important because we know how hard they worked on the CBA coming into this. So to know that they're going to keep 100% of their salary was something that I know uh, if you watched the Monday night's return to sports on ESPN, WNBA Commissioner Kathy Engelberg talked about that and how important it was for the league to make that decision. But if a player does decide to opt out, she will not receive any additional checks. But the league is going to pay full salary for any player who needs to sit out because of a pre-existing medically confirmed condition. An example of that would be um, someone like Elena Deladon, who has in the past had to battle Lyme disease. Um, she also had a surgery. And so these kinds of things make people susceptible to contracting uh, COVID-19. And so those types of situations are a little bit different than someone who's just having their own reservations. So they're going to look at those situations differently. Another topic that has definitely come up um, amid all of this is social justice. How um, will the league tackle social justice? Um, is this going to be a distraction? And the league is saying that social justice is definitely going to be a focal point this season. So um, I never doubted that the WNBA would 
tackle this head on. And they quite certainly look to be making that um, a major focus in this return and using this platform to elevate that. Another thing that I think you guys need to, to know is living arrangements, right? So players are going to be housed in like these multi-room villas, which have kitchens, hotel rooms, things like that. Players are allowed to bring their children um, and they will also be able to bring their care caretaker with them. Players also who have at least five years experience are allowed to bring a plus one. So if you have a spouse or significant other, someone that you want to bring, you're absolutely welcome to do so. But um, they will have to pay for that person's lodging, testing, meals, etc. Now, once the playoffs begins and they reach the semifinals, then all players will be allowed to bring in a plus one. No details yet on how that testing is going to be handled. There's no details yet on what will or won't be televised. Um, we don't know, you know, which teams are going to play each other when. We do have an idea that um, they are going to play each other twice. There's four courts at the IMG facility. It is said that they are possibly looking at another facility to play in that's near the Tampa area that might be better for broadcasting the games. But again, even that schedule has not yet been released. We have no details on what happens if a player does contract the virus, and it's not expected that the league is going to shut down again, but we just don't know what they're going to do in that particular case other than the possibility of quarantining that person and those who they've come in contact with, and there are no apparent changes to the playoff format. So that is what we know so far. And that's a lot. That is a lot, Tariq, and we appreciate that. Um, a lot, a lot to digest. And before we get into these burning questions, our first was, what do we know? Thank you for Tariq taking one of the seven questions off of the table. Um, I want to talk about what's on kind of my clipboard. So just a couple of things off the top, my thoughts, keep in mind, just thoughts. Make sure this mic is on. <laughs> so I'm going to be critical of all sides of this, okay? That's what I do. I'm an analyst. I analyze things. So um, we'll get into the media coverage of this whole thing later on. But as I go through, the first thing I want people to know is that this was a tough, tough job. The league office, the Players Association's executive committee led by the impeccable Neko Gumake. I think she's a fantastic human being, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the players, like everyone involved. This is This is tough. These are, these are challenging life decisions that have to be made. It's your livelihood. It's your health. Um, it's your overall holistic well-being, which you'll hear me make um, several references to throughout this because it's about your emotional, physical, um, just your total well-being as a person and an athlete. Um, you know, Commissioner Kathy Engelberg, I mean, this was a tough job that they have. So kudos to them for getting 77%, which I'm assuming was 77% of 144 players and not 77% of whoever voted, but that was a little bit unclear. Anyway, monumental, right? Mm -hmm. The other thing on my clipboard is that we want to make sure that you know that this plan is not even close to being done. Still so many unknowns was the quote from Amber Cox, the executive vice president for the Connecticut Sun yesterday on, on their call. Uh, still a lot to be figured out, decided. In fact, there's still, there's going to be another vote. So we're eight days from a decision, 38 days from a decision from the players. 
because that's the other part. So we still don't know who's playing this season. As Tarika said, um, they have until June 25th to decide if they are opting into the season. Because even though that there has been a decision to have a season that the players have supported, not all players have said they're going to be playing for various reasons. And we'll get into some of that later. So we're about eight days from them having to make that decision if they're going to be playing. About 38 days from the kickoff of the season, though Kathy Engelberg did say that that start date might have some flex to it. As Tarika just mentioned, they're still talking about venues and other things that just have not been completely solidified so much. Yeah, so those are some things that I just wanted to say off the top of this. And with that, I'm going to get on Tarika's hot seat and give my thoughts on a few things. Given what we've heard and uh, different things that are coming from different sources, what is the league's perspective on this as far as, you know, the importance of one coming back and, and trying to make this a deal that is going to be conducive to everyone and wanting them to come back. So what is the league's perspective on this? So the league had to consider a lot of different things, right? And we've heard Kathy Engelbert time and time again saying, obviously player health is, is number one on their agenda, but mm-hmm. the WBA was going to have to face if There was no season going dark for 18 months. That's a long time to go without a sport that you're trying to capitalize on momentum with. I mean, keeping in mind, they had a groundbreaking CBA. Um, there was the best free agency period ever in the history of the league. Just so many things happening coming into this season. So on the business side, which it is their job to think about the business, that's why you have people in leadership at a league office. They're thinking about that. Listen, we need to capitalize on this momentum, right? Everyone wants sports. The men's leagues are, are coming back, right? Like we want women to be front and center and we have a captive audience as the world has not quite gotten back to normal. So there's a good opportunity for the growth of the WNBA as we saw in the record numbers of viewers um, that watched our uh, WNBA draft. Now, uh, there was also some financial drawback or possibility um, of financial loss without TV money, right? That's a big part of, of what the league can make in terms of revenue. So you don't have television, you don't have, you know, obviously the teams are missing out on fan money and things like that, but you got to think about the TV money. Um, I did from one source here that there was a team um, front office personnel from one of the teams. That's a source. You're going to hear that a lot on this. Um, that said, we're going to lose money going to Florida instead of having a season, instead of not having a season at all. So kudos to the teams who, at least in this one team situation, feels like if there was no season, then they would not have lost as much money as they're going to lose having a season in Florida. So appreciating the commitment from the team level, which in this case, we're kind of putting together with the league perspective. You also want it if you're the WNBA for your negotiations with the Players Association to appear successful. I mean, it's important for the WNBA and Players Association to be able to have negotiations and come out on the end of it. Um, You know, we've seen what's happened with Major Major League Baseball, Um, even with the NBA, how things can get a little rocky. So uh, this is also a big step forward as far as that relationship is concerned. And then the league also wants players to have the option of getting back to some sense of, of, of normalcy, right? Like for a lot of players, the basketball court is what makes them feel whole. So offering your players, hey, if, if you want to get out here and play, we're going to try to create the safest situation in which you can do that. So those are some of the things that I think the league was considering and deciding to have a season in during this process. 
Now, I want to stay on that same topic, but let's switch it from the league's perspective to the player's perspective. You know, what were or what do you think, in your opinion, were some of the reasons that players wanted to be out on the court and maybe also why some of them may have reservations? Yeah, it's a good question, T. And I just want to say first and foremost that I don't think we can look at the players' votes and decide what they really wanted, what their concerns are, what their intentions were. Um, You know, the people that said no or didn't vote at all, it could be the coronavirus, it could be finances, Mm -hmm. you know, or it could be... um, it's actually finances on the positive side. It could have been fear of injury. Um, some people have talked about social advocacy. So let's go through a few of those things and think about the pros and cons for the players and what they may be thinking about leading up to that deadline of June 25th. So the coronavirus playing basketball in a pandemic looks like this. No mask, no six feet apart, which are both recommendations from the CDC. Mm-hmm. It puts them at risk of contracting the coronavirus, which we already know is so highly contagious. Uh, We also don't know what the long-term effects are yet of the coronavirus disease. I mean, some people are saying, well, if you're young and healthy, you know, you'll be fine. Well, that there's not actually anything to support that, right? We also know that the coronavirus is disproportionately affecting people of color. And this is a league that is 80% Black women. So obviously a huge concern. Keeping also in mind that means that they are more likely to have a family member that could have been impacted or maybe died or got sick or or ill. Um, And so those are all things I think they're juggling around this virus. And um, to have been dealing with that the last three weeks and then three months and then turn around and put yourself in harm's way or increase your chances of getting the virus, I'm sure is a scary decision. So the other part of kind of what might be going through these players' minds is money, right? You want to make money. It's your livelihood. (laughs) I mean, it's sad when you look across our country and there's been so much job loss and and people, you know, being furloughed. Like this is something that everyone's dealing with is, is financial challenges. And so you play, you get paid. You don't play, you don't. Um, and along those lines, I just want to say really quickly that the WNBA does not have what you call a force majeure clause. So technically, for the WNBA to only play their players 60%, it would have had to been a good faith negotiation that the players agreed to because there is no force majeure clause, which basically says if there's a pandemic, we don't have to pay you all your money. That exists in the NBA. It doesn't exist in the WNBA. Mm-hmm. So the league had to really pay these players 100%. I don't think a percentage negotiation. And I, listen, thank God for our friends from her hoop stats <laughs> that are doing a whole rundown on the CBA right now and help me to understand that. Shout out to you guys. But from what we understand, the league was on the hook to play the players 100% anyway. Now, some people may say, oh, well, they weren't playing a whole season, so they're lucky to get all their money. Yeah, but a whole season, three months, living in a different place, Mm -hmm. um, having roommates, um, having to adjust to different accommodations, a different environment, putting your health at risk. Let's be honest. These women probably should have been getting paid 150% for what they're getting ready to have to sacrifice to get that 100% of their pay. So the players are thinking about this. Some of them have yet to cash in on this new CBA, right? So you don't play this summer and say you had one more year before your CBA benefits cash in. If you don't play this summer, 
then it becomes another year that you have to wait to take advantage of the new monies that are available in the CBA. So some players are saying, listen, I need to get out here and get this year up. Some are trying to play another season to get off of their rookie contract, which again, impacts their money. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot financially for these women to have to, to consider along this way as well. Injury is a concern. Um, They haven't, some of them haven't done anything in three months. Like this is the first time in their lives that they have not touched the basketball court is what I mean. And yes, they, they've been doing things in their homes and they've been riding bikes and find different ways to stay in shape, but not touch the basketball, not maybe had to explode up the court, not, you know, coming off of a screen or, you know, going to rebound in a crowd. So in your mind, if you're a player, and I think they're right now is maybe two or three weeks scheduled in for a training camp, though we do know that that training camp facilities are open and I believe for all teams or most teams at this point, mm-hmm. but you still haven't done anything in three months. So there's a risk for injury. In fact, the Euro league men canceled their remaining season because they were afraid of injury. So that just tells you that this is a real thing for athletes. Um, and with the shortened training camp, you know, they've never come in to a season with a time like this. That's just been this different. So that's a challenge or something they have to think through. And then there's their, their holistic wellness. Like this has been a tough year for everyone, right? right? So if you decide to go to this one site, Rika, you know, and you talked about <laughs> players that have five or more years experience having the option of bringing someone that they do have to pay for. But for those players that have four, three, two, one, when is the next time they're going to be able to reach out and touch a loved one? How much more valuable do we find those family connections now than we did three months ago and, and now that we're just valuing life and, and our families and our loved ones in a way that we maybe never had as a country. So you think about the mental aspect of preparing yourself every day to play in a situation that's you're not used to being in. Um, and that's so many different levels. And we're still learning about, you know, a lot of what their day-to-day life would be like, but that's something else to consider. Social justice advocacy. There are some players that have expressed the desire to be in the community Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you hear all these different takes and people saying, well, you know, when they all get together, they'll have a stronger voice. And I'm all for using the platform. And I love that. But there are some players, NBA, WNBA, soccer, whoever, that want to be in their community. Like they want to be in the community to be visible, especially some of these communities that are disproportionately affected by police brutality and by Mm -hmm. some of the racial issues that we have. So they actually want to be there to be tangible so the community can see them to have conversations with community leaders Mm -hmm. so don't knock anyone on on what they want to do as far as social advocacy but players are concerned about how they will be able to do that and then my last thing that you have to consider in this group of of people you know i read one article that said you know most of the people that said no or did not vote at all were either concerned about the coronavirus or wanted to know how they were doing the social advocacy piece, or some just didn't like the plan. I mean, that's fair, right? It's, it's a fair assessment that everything that, you know, some people feel is awesome, other people don't. And, you know, it's an unfair uh, assumption to think that people just voted no for only those two reasons. Some people may have just simply felt that there were other things that we could have done or that the league could do differently to to push this forward. 
And those votes could change because there's still a lot that's not known. So some of those no's or some of those did not vote could be waiting for this second wave of information to vote again to really feel strongly one way or the other. That's true. And what I, what I was just going to quickly piggyback off of is um, you mentioning from the social advocacy structure. We just talked to Natasha Cloud and she specifically mentioned, you know, players and, and people in general, but players specifically need to be willing to risk it all. And that kind of just ties right into it that they may be willing to risk the financial burden of not being paid for being able to be in their communities and for being able to be active and for basically saying this is bigger than basketball. You know, no pun to the new WNBA initiative, but yeah, like it's bigger than basketball to some people. So yeah. um, that's all fair. Keeping in that same that same subject of, you know, us being able to see people out in the community and us being able to see people using their platforms. How has the media handled this as far as everything, honestly, you know, displaying what our players are doing, um, talking about, you know, how the WNBA, how this is going to affect uh, other sports moving forward. And I say that because look at what happened with the WNBA draft, right? Like the, the WNBA was the first sports team to have a virtual draft and pulled it off successfully. And from there, other other people and other things kind of tend to follow along. So how does the media handle this? You know, Tarika, here's what I'll say. I'm proud of the WNBA media. I really am. Um, and, and, that, and the reason why I say that is, is I remember a time where it was like, And I used to tell people this, the media, the league, the fans, like we all got to work together to grow women's basketball because we're just not great in numbers, right? We're still growing. I feel like we've gotten to a point as far as media coverage where we have some diversity of thought, of ideas, of perspective, of sources. So if you've been following along, Michelle Vogel, for example, she writes primarily from the angle of the WNBA Players Association and the WNBA. She clearly has a great relationship with Terry Jackson. I've got friends that um, have been working in women's basketball the media for a long time and haven't been able to get that same access to the Players Association. So thank God for Michelle, because that is where she's kind of coming from and her angle of perspective. Go online and definitely read her articles. Me, again, I'm an analyst, so I'm going to analyze what I see happening both on and off the court. And Tarika, you know this. This is one reason why we started this podcast is that we wanted to – I. I know for me, I want to talk about X and O's, but I also want to talk about what else is happening in the league, like issues right. like social justice and to have a platform to do that, um, especially with both of us being black women in a league that's 80% black, like mm-hmm. our perspective was much needed. Like women's basketball definitely needed um, more perspective that reflective of the athletes on the court. Right. And so that's another you know layer of it that I'm just so proud has grown. But then you have... Like Ariel Chambers, who, you know, broke news from a player's perspective on Twitter, which I think is great. Like, this is what happens when you are getting real coverage, right? Like, people were coming up at her, you know, coming at her. But it's like, she did not lend her opinion to anything. She basically just tweeted what the player said to her, you know, which... In your journalistic integrity, and you're more of a journalist by certification than I am, but (laughs) that's what you're supposed to do. But you also have the women's basketball 24-7. There's great coverage from Doug and and Howard Megdal. I'm using everyone's information right now, just so you guys know on this podcast. I'm not citing you individually. I'm citing you all at once. But her hoop stats, which, again, they're taking a deep dive into the CBA, which I am just 
ecstatic about, but we have not always had these levels of coverage. So shout out to everyone out there. I know it's a little bit uncomfortable, but I believe that this means that we are in a place of growth um, as a WNBA. And you have to be able to be critical without being afraid to lose audience. Like we used to be, yeah, we got to be kumbaya, but do you want to be a real sports league? Like, it's not that I don't have respect for Kathy Engelbert or different people, but we all can talk about things uh, with a critical eye and it'd be fine. People tell me how they feel about me and my mentions all day, every day. And all on the I don't care. <laughs> so who cares? Um, but it is important to remember when you're reading articles and different perspectives that everyone has different sources. People have various motivations. Like there's a lot of people that work in media that want there to be a season so that they have something to write about or something to mm-hmm. report about or that they make sure they have they have money from the job. And so that may come into play in how they write their perspective. And I'm just keeping it real. And I'm just going to leave that where it is. Yeah, I, I have nothing further to add. <laughs> nothing further to add because that is absolutely correct. We both said coming into the show and, you know, talking offline that there are a lot of things that we still don't have answers to, right? So Latina, please tell the audience or tell the listeners, you know, what are just five random questions that you're still looking for answers to? So just my random questions as I'm reading different things about this whole process. And again, just shout out to a process that I had nothing to do with it making this happen. Kathy Engelbert, Nekagumake, like, listen, march on. But these are my questions. No Disney. Why not? I saw the NBA releasing all this information about what Braun and them are going to be doing in the VIP lounge and manicure, pedicure, you know, like chef prepared culinary meals and all this. And I'm like, listen, why didn't the WNBA go to Disney? My question. The other one is why not just have a tournament? Like it seems like players are struggling a little bit from this health aspect of being in this one site for maybe three months. Maybe I could just had a month long tournament, which lessens the window from any type of coronavirus infection, but keeps the WNBA relevant. You know, have a tournament like March Madness, some excitement to it. Did you have to go three whole months? Um, seems like it made for a more difficult decision really for everyone in- involved. Well, there'll be a throat swab in this testing because I've seen some of those videos of the coronavirus testing. I heard there's not going to be, but I'm just curious about what this next wave of testing look like looks like because I haven't heard it. Uh-uh. Um, feel free to hit us if you know about a more accurate test in the throat swab, but I'm interested. Throat swab that. is cool. It's the no swab that is just... Y'all oh, oh, sorry. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry. Not the throat swab. The, no, the nasal swab. My bad. You're right. It's the nasal swab, Tarika. Yes, absolutely. I don't know where I got throat from. Maybe because well, there's throat- two. There is one that you can take with a throat swab, like kind of oh. like the, the one that you get, like if you're testing for like pharyngitis or something like that. With that nasal swab, yeah, that's the one we don't want. So I want to know about that. I do want to know more about the travel party per team. Like, wh- who? What kind of resources are each team able to bring with them? Because we know that these players coming off of some of them, three months of no playing, some of them longer than that if they didn't play overseas of actual basketball. So what will the support look like, whether it's, you know, physical therapy or acupuncture? I mean, I see WNBA players on their different mediums all the time getting various forms of therapy. So what is that going to look like? And then what is high risk? If you're saying that a player is high risk, 
that they can still make a hundred percent of their salary, what do you designate as high risk and how, I mean, these physicals I'm sure are going to be like next level, right? Because you want to make sure that these players have nothing pre-existing that goes undetected. Um, but what, who fits in at high risk? I mean, Tarika, you missed, you mentioned Deladon earlier in, in the, in the, in the podcast is Lyme disease high risk. Definitely want to know that and how that will be determined. Stay on your five because as you have the questions, there are still some other things that are a little bit unclear. So give me five things that you would like to see clarified a little better. All right. Five things I'd like to see clarified. What is going to be voted on in the second vote? Like how will that be different? I'm assuming some of the things that we've seen announced just a, you know, from the NBA in the last couple of days, I mean, from what I understand, they came out with a whole policy manual Mm -hmm. and, you know, we've got details on details down to not being able to play ping pong in doubles because obviously that increases your risk of the coronavirus. So the NBA is going like next level. So I'm curious to see what is going to be different from the vote that the players just had to the second vote. Um, how many players voted the first time? I mentioned that earlier. Was it 77% of the entire or 77% of who, whoever voted? Um, how will spikes impact the season? Bradenton, thank you again, her hoop stats, is at an all-time high right now in their spikes for coronavirus right there where IMG is. So how will that then impact the flow of the season? Um, and then I was curious as to why – only players that have five or more years experience can have a guest. I just want to know because I feel like, first of all, to ask players to pay for someone to join them in the one site is almost asking them to pay or manage their own holistic wellness. And that I don't think having a guest should have anything to do with how much experience you have in the league. Like maybe that just makes you feel more healthy. So those would be my other five points of clarification. Well, fans, you guys heard it here. We are just as excited as you are to see what happens next, to see what next steps are. Um, Honestly, between us, whatever y'all have to do to make sure Connecticut wins the title, I'm cool with it. There we go. You know what? See, I see how you acting. Then you need to be calling and making sure all your players show up. That's what you need to do. Right. Okay. That would be the next step for you. But I do want to say this kind of just like in closing, it's interesting as I've been perusing Twitter and looking at the, the women's basketball, you know, kind of gathering out there, which I just love reading all the comments. I think it was Diana Tarazi's bun, which is one of my favorite accounts to follow. I love it. the question, like, would you go play after the announcement? Like asking fans, would you go play? And most of the people were like, nah. And so tip your hat to these players, because if you're saying you wouldn't go out there, but they're going to go and play, like that speaks volumes. And, and some may say, well, it's their job. That's not the contract they signed to go play at a one site with a high risk of catching a virus. Like that, that's not your job. That is what you are willing to do as a professional, as someone who loves the sport, if that's what you decide to do. But if not, no judgment. I mean, I think I read Megan Rapinoe has decided she's not playing because of the risk of injury yeah. and the risk of COVID. Like there are going to be players that opt out of it. Fans, I challenge you not to get upset with your players. If they choose not to go in. I mean, you can have a moment, you know what I'm saying? But I think they have, they all have a very tough decision on their hands as far as what they will do in 2020. 
Yeah, don't blame them whatsoever. Before we get out of here, though, we do have to give some shout outs to some people who have been doing some amazing yes. over the last few weeks. So, um, again, I don't know if you guys watched the uh, Return to Sports that was on Monday night. Um, it was hosted by Mike Greenberg with Get Up. Um, there were the commissioner from all of the professional major sports in the U.S. All, everyone was there, but they also had players on the show and they also had different people bringing different perspectives outside of the commissioners and representing so hard was Brianna Turner and she did a phenomenal job with just pretty much letting people know her perspective and she's been very vocal on Twitter and on social media with her perspective we um had an opportunity to talk to her and I can't wait for people to hear that podcast from her but I just want to give her a quick shout out because, again, as someone who's being raised by two police officers, she has both sides. And she's always very eloquent in stating that. Um, she also talked about the driveway protest that she did with her great grandmother, who's 92 years old. Yes, I love that story. I did as well. Like what she said really stuck with me. Like, hey, I was born in the 20s and we're still going through this. Like, when does it end? It was just it was amazing. It was a phenomenal perspective. So shout out to you, Casey. Um, also want to give a shout out to Maya Moore. Maya Moore has been in this fight for criminal justice reform for a long time. I mean, she has literally suspended herself from the season for two years now to, to, to really help, um, a gentleman by the name of Jonathan Irons. And just to give you a quick overview, Jonathan Irons is serving 20, has served 22 years of a 50 year sentence for his convictions of burglary and assault. And they have been expunged. I want to say it was March. Yeah. Um, so congratulations, number one, for, for all of the hard work and everything that Maya did to advocate for this. And this was a story that was very passionate for her. Some of the things that, you know, they didn't have, they didn't have proper evidence. They, you know, there were assumptions made that the confessions um, was coerced and that there just were so many different parts and pieces that just didn't make sense. And this was something that was very passionate for her, something that she genuinely felt was in her calling and in her purpose to do. Um, and so she took a step away from basketball last year and also took a step away from basketball this season, um, had the season started on time in order to, to fully focus on this. So just want to give a shout out to her uh, for everything that she's doing for everyone who she's inspired because there's so many people right now who, um, and, and we say this all the time in China, you know, the WBA, WBA players have been in this fight and they've yes. been on the front line. They they were first, exactly. So, you know, it's great to see her getting the attention that she rightfully deserves. But this ain't new. This isn't new for her. She's been doing this. So shout out um, to Naya Moore. Not sure if you want to contribute anything with China. No, that was perfect. Just that we stand, Maya. Keeping with that same energy, Renee Montgomery. Yes. Heavy in the game right now. She's been so outspoken with the Black Lives Matter movement raised money um, to pass out waters for people who were protesting, who were marching. She literally was just on a couple of nights ago, Angel Gray's Voices United show. She's also just been in the forefront of this movement, on active on social, very encouraging. Um, so, Renee, we stand for you too, girl. Yes. Doing to Renee. She's so awesome. and She's just been thriving, growing, using yeah. her voice, especially here in Atlanta in the city that I live in. I mean, <laughs> she was out passing waters. I think she's raised $8,000, paid probably more by now. Like, just huge. Shout out to Renee. And this little bit of breaking news, 
she's actually going to sit out and she's announced via her Twitter that she is going to focus on social justice reform and not play this season. She tweeted that there's work to be done off the court in so many areas of our community. Social justice reform isn't going to happen overnight, but I do feel that now is the time and moments equal momentum. Let's keep it going. So she's serious about her commitment to social justice. Shout out to Renee. And last but not least, big shout out to Texas women's basketball. We have talked repeatedly about what colleges and student athletes are doing in this time of unrest. And Texas women's basketball was like, hey, this is what we're going to call and hold our administration accountable for. Um, They want to have Texas remove all of Um, these very undertoned racial um, lyrics and names on buildings and statues. They want to, they want to have their administration take a look at these things and say, Hey, if this is something that um, based or underwritten and and social and and racial undertones, we want to have it removed. And, And it wasn't just the women's basketball team, but because we're a women's basketball podcast, of we're shouting out the women's yes. basketball team. Shout <laughs> <laughs> athletics, but shout out to Texas women. But shout out to Texas women. Exactly, exactly. Yes, we are still on the social injustice tip on this podcast. Um, but do check out, again, Natasha Cloud. We have a podcast with Val Ackerman um, that you can check out. And then Brianna Turner will be coming as well. Uh, for all things women's basketball, you know, it's uh, ESPNW, um, ESPN. And check us out on Twitter. I am at LaChina Robinson. Tarika's at She Knows Sports underscore. Our podcast is at Around the Rim Pod. And if you want to, e- if you want to email us, you can do that as well. Um, around the Rim Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next time. Stay safe, everyone. Thank you for listening to Around the Rim. Check out more podcasts from ESPN on the ESPN app.